Are you glad to be here? All right, good deal. Well, believe it or not, we're going to James tonight. We haven't been to James in a while, so we're going to James. And um, I figured out that we need to go back to James and we need to find out where we're coming from. Because tonight we're going to talk about grace and repentance and things like that. And, and it all fits together, but you may have forgotten because it's been a while since we've been in James because I got kind of diverted just a little bit. Okay, so we're going to go back and read James. We're in James chapter 4. And we're going to read the uh, first verse, oh, first five verses of James chapter four to get a context. Um, I think it's Lisa Turkis who um, talks about messes. Um, we we um, we have messes, and and we bump into other people's messes. Well, the people James are writing to have messes, okay, and we have messes, all right. But this is what their mess looked like, and unfortunately, it often looks like the messes we run into in, in the world today, in churches today, in our lives today. So here's what James says in James chapter 4, verse 1. Where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure that war in your members? You lust and do not have. You murder and covenant and cannot obtain. You fight and war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. And you ask and do not receive because you ask amiss, that you may spend it on your pleasures. Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever, therefore, wants to be a friend of the world... I remember preaching this. It was good. Whoever, therefore, wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God? Or do you think that the scripture says in vain, the spirit who dwells in us yearns jealousy? And that's where we're going to jump in with verse number six. When you got your messes, whether it be, again, on the church level, the family level, your private level, when you got these messes, okay, and boy, as I read that again, one, yep, that was a big mess. What happens what can happen and what can happen is god can happen amen god can happen here's what he says in verse number six of james chapter four after that long list of messes okay james says but he gives greater grace he gives greater grace i am so glad that in our messes god doesn't abandon us but rather, he extends greater grace. God doesn't abandon us, but he sends greater grace. I was sharing with these two young men in my office, you know. And, and the wonderful part is there's nothing that we're going to do in the future that's going to cause God to say, you can't be my son and you can't be my daughter because your mess is too big. I am glad that God's grace is sufficient for any... And, and don't forget this, that God's grace is sufficient for any and all of our messes. Now, we need to make sure, too, we understand that the word grace does not just apply to salvation. We love to sing about amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wrench like me. We love to sing about and state the fact that grace is that big, wonderful part of salvation, and it is all of that. But understand that God's grace is so much more than that. There are graces that he extends to us. Um, in fact, Paul talking about giving uh, in, one, in, in 2 Corinthians says, you know, let this grace, let this grace abound in you also, talking about giving. So, so there's all these graces that are out there, and, and 
particularly one when we're in our messes. There is a grace. There's living grace and dying grace and giving grace and, and all those different graces, okay? So don't limit grace to just salvation because it's much bigger than that, okay? And, and there's, there's grace that is always greater than our sin and grace greater than any challenge. So enjoy and bask in the grace of God. Now, the word grace, of course, means God's unmerited favor, but it also extends His kindness, his kindness. God extends His kindness to us. So James says He gives greater grace. He gives grace that is sufficient for whatever we're going through in that time and challenge in our life. Now again, remember that. Um, if you have a loved one who's deathly sick, God's grace is sufficient. If you are the one deathly sick, God's grace is sufficient. If you get the pink slip from the mind, God's grace is sufficient. If your marriage is on the rocks, God's grace is sufficient. If your children are driving you crazy, God's grace is sufficient. If your spouse is driving you crazy, God's grace is sufficient. He gives greater grace. Now, therefore, James says... He says this. Now, keep in mind what we're coming out of. You know, wars and fights come from among you. Don't they come from your desires for pleasure that warn your members? Keep in mind what he's talking about because he turns right around and says, therefore, he says, God resists the proud. God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Okay? So when we're in messes and we want to be stubborn about it, all right, God resists that. And I, I, every time I, Brittany, every time I read this, you know, I think about the word, you know, resist means oppose. Now, I don't, you know, I kind of expect, you know, there's, you know you're going to get opposed by Satan. But, P, but, but James is saying that God opposes the proud. So when you're in your messes, don't be proud about it. Be humble about it. That, that was a good place for an amen. I don't know how to tell you all that. I'll just share with you. All right, amen. You remember that? Will you remember that? Okay. So God resists the proud. He opposes the proud, but he gives grace to humble. So what is it about pride that, that God so strongly opposes? And the answer is pride is the sin of Satan. Pride is the sin of Satan. In Isaiah chapter 14, that's where, that's where the account of Satan's uh, sin is given. And I think it's seven times he says, I will, I will, I will, I will, I will. And one of the things he says is, I will be like the most high. I will be like the most high. Okay? And interestingly enough, when, when um, he enters into Genesis chapter 3 and tempts Eve, you know, you, he straight said, you can be like God. You can be like God. He threw the same temptation out to her. Well, it didn't turn out well for him. He got cast out of the heaven, and ultimately he's going to be cast into hell, and it won't work out good for you either. It will not work out good for you either. Okay? So, so he gives, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Now, Peter comes right along and kind of echoes that very sentiment in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5, the second part. And I like the way he words this. All of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. Now, let me tell you why we push back from this. Here's why we push back. Okay? I said we, you know, if there's one thing we resist, it's the idea of giving, giving our time, our abilities, our talents, our resources. We just wrestle with giving. Okay? We wrestle with that. But here's another thing. We, we wrestle with humility because the clothing of humility looks strangely like a slave's robe. That's, that's why. We push back from humility. You know, 
slaves wore the bare minimum and they're ragged and tattered and torn, okay? And when he says, clothe yourselves with humility, we push back because we don't want to wear that. But I need to remind you that the Lord Jesus Christ on Passover night before he's going to be crucified the next day took off his outer robe and put on a towel, put on the slaves, put on the cloth of humility as he washed the boy's feet, as he washed the boy's feet. But that's why we push back. So, but Peter says, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. That's what he does, okay? Now, the best picture and the, and the most wonderful picture, I think, perhaps of the New Testament, one of them, yeah, of grace is Second Corinthians chapter 12. It's one of those scriptures I love to read and share because I find it quite amazing. It's something like this. You know, Paul apparently was given the gift of ascending into heaven, okay? The third heaven. In other words, it's actually into the presence of God. So apparently he was given that gift and allowed to go into the very presence of heaven. And he said, I, I heard things. And, of course, he says, well, me or another guy, you know, he kind of, you know how Paul does sometimes. Okay? But he heard and saw things that were not lawful for a man to hear. Okay? And so that sets up for this verse number 7b. He goes, therefore, um, so that I would not exalt myself, because I saw the third heaven. I was allowed to actually go up and see the, see heaven, the place of God. So I would not exalt myself. A thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan. Okay? So he received this thorn, okay, so that, all right, a thorn in his flesh, so that, so that he would not exalt himself. Okay? Now, now here's what I want you to understand. This goes with this morning. That... Paul didn't want a thorn, but he needed a thorn. See, Paul's, God's not going to give you what you want. He's going to give you what you need. Now, again, none of us want a thorn in the flesh, but Paul needed this thorn in the flesh to keep him from the sin of pride. To keep, I mean, it clearly says that. I would not exalt myself. A thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to torment me, so that I would not exalt myself. And God wants very clear, God wants Paul to understand, Paul, I don't want you leaning on you, I want you leaning on me. Now, I can't, I won't dare speak for every situation, but a whole lot, a whole lot of what goes on in our life is God teaching us to lean on Him and not on us. That will help if you'll remember that. Because we say, God, what are you doing? A lot of times He's doing two things. He's knocking off in our lives everything that don't look like Jesus. And He's teaching us to lean on Him. You know, you, know how you carve a duck, don't you? You cut off everything that don't look like a duck. How do you make us like Jesus? Everything that doesn't look like Jesus, you cut it off. And then we learn to lean on God. Well, in verse 8, Paul says, Concerning this, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it would leave me. Take this thorn away. But he said, and here's where it comes in, My grace is sufficient for you. Paul, my grace is enough. My grace is enough. And, and listen, my power is perfected in weakness. So, when you're going through a mess... In your life, when you're going through a challenge in your life, remember Paul's story, okay? That, that hey, 
God might just be saying to you, my grace is enough. Amen? Are y'all getting this? Yeah. My grace is enough. And my, my grace is perfected in weakness. When we are weak, when we are weakest, He is strongest. When we are weakest, He is strongest. So then James goes from that, he goes, now keep in mind the context, talking about messes, he goes, um, therefore, submit to God, period, resist the devil and he will flee from you. So here's a sandwich, okay, here's a sandwich, and the first part of the sandwich is, uh, therefore, submit to God. Coming out of that, he gives greater grace, God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble, therefore, submit to God. Submit to God. Surrender to God. Be willing, whatever God's going to throw your way, be willing to accept it. Whatever God's going to throw your way, be willing to accept it. And by the way, I guess we can say this. Since God is sovereign, whatever comes our way has to be God-filtered. I mean, He's sovereign. I don't think Satan can take pot shots at us. Okay, so God is sovereign. So therefore, whatever comes our way has been Father-filtered. Okay? He's going to do something with that every single, every single time. So, one of the best examples of submission to God, because he says, submit to God, is Jesus. I mean, again, this never grows old to me. That's why I don't teach it. I don't mind sharing with them. I'm going to teach I'm going to share it with you tonight. You know, Jesus is in the garden, okay? Hours away from the cross. In Matthew 26, 38 and 39, he said to them, the three guys, I am deeply grieved to the point of death. Now let that just, I'm going to stop. Jesus was grieved to the point, ever been grieved to the point of death? Thought you were going to die? Some of you have. You ever lost a child you were? You ever lost a child you were? Grieved to the point of death. I am deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and stay awake with me. Going a little further... He fell face down and prayed, My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. Now, this cup, you know what? I, I don't ever grow tired of teaching what you already know. This cup was the cross and its sin. I mean, physically, Donnie, the cross was horrible. But we must never lose sight of the fact that part of the cross was not only the suffering physically, it was the spiritual death of sin on the cross. He who knew no sin became sin, became sin for us that we might become the righteous of God. So here's, here's holy God in the flesh incarnate and he's facing the cross. Physically, in his human side, he's facing the death of death. That's what the Romans called it, the death of death. And spiritually, as the Son of God, He's fixing to become sin. And so He says, My Father, if there's anything, any way possible, let this cup pass from me. But then He says these words, Yet not as I will, but as you will. Now that needs to be us. That just needs to be us. His prayer should be our prayer. And it goes on in verse 42. Again, a second time. Again, a second time. He went away and prayed, My Father, if this cannot pass until I drink it, your will be done. 
This, boy, does this simplify your prayer life. You tell God your desire, and then you say, God, but it's not my deal, it's yours. That simplifies your prayer life, doesn't it? God, here's my desire, here's what I wish would happen. But you know what, God? It's not about me, it's about you. Your will be done. Verse 44, after leaving them, he went away again and prayed a third time, saying the same thing once more. So this is a beautiful picture of what it means to submit to God. So submit to God, and then the second part of the sandwich is, in verse 7, the second part, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Now, the best way that you resist Satan is submit to God. The best way you, you resist Satan is by submitting to God. Now, it's so important. Submission always slays the enemy. Submission slays the enemy. When you are surrendered prostate before God, you're in the best position to slay the enemy, which is Satan. Now, in Ephesians chapter 4, there's just one chunk I want you to get here, you know, thinking about resisting the devil. Um, Paul writes, Therefore, put away lying, um, speak the truth, each one to his neighbor, because we are members of one another. Be angry, by the way, I wrote this down, be mad at and about the right things. Be angry and do not sin. And you do that by being mad at and about the right thing. And by the way, it's not your wife or your husband. You don't need to be mad at them. You don't need to be mad at your brothers and sisters in Christ. You don't get mad at Satan, knock yourself out. You don't get not mad at sin, knock yourself out. But don't get mad at your brothers and sisters. That's not what's, that's what's not, not right. He goes on and says, don't let the sun go down in your anger and don't give place to the devil. Don't give a foothold to the devil. So we are submit to God. We submit to God. We surrender to Him. Thy will be done. And resist the devil by not giving him, by submitting and not giving him a foothold. You know what it means? Have you ever, have you ever, somebody ever tried to get in your room or something? Maybe your mom or your dad, I don't know. And you stick your foot in the door. They stick their foot in the door so you can't close the door. That's giving a foothold. Satan loves to get his foot in the door. Because if he can get your foot in the door, then you can't slam the door closed. So, so Paul says, don't give opportunity, don't give place, don't give a foothold to the devil. And then James says in verse number 8, draw near to God. Now keep in mind, we're talking about this mess. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. So what's the two best ways to draw near to God? Okay, well, I bet you can guess them. One is prayer. One is prayer. We draw close to God by praying. Psalm 145 says in verse 17, The Lord is righteous in everything He does. He is filled with kindness, grace. He is filled with grace. The Lord is close to all. The Lord is, there's your words. The, word, the Lord is close to all who call on Him. Yes, to all who call on Him in truth. There's an intimacy of the whisper. The intimacy of the whisper. You know, when we are quiet and in prayer, it's those times that we have the opportunity to hear God whisper. If we're always out in the world and always running, we'll never hear the whispers of God. And we'll miss most of what God says to us. So prayer time, especially in the quietness of the moment, lets you have the whispers of intimacy with God. 
Okay? The second thing is, of course, the Bible, the Word of God. We pray and we read the Word of God. Um, I call this 911 because it's, it's from Psalm 119, 911, 9 through 11. We referenced this like two weeks ago. How can a young man keep his way pure? You know, by keeping your word. By keeping your word. I have sought you with all my heart. Don't let me wander from your commands. God, keep me close to your commands. I have treasured your word in my heart so that I might not sin against you. Okay? So how do we stay close to God? We pray and we read the word of God. We pray and we meditate on the word of God. We pray and we apply the word of God. Amen? That makes sense? We've got to do this, guys. Okay? Church isn't going to get the job done. A preacher standing up talking for 45 minutes ain't going to get the job done. We've got to have that intimacy of the whispers, and we've got to have the time of the Word. All right? Now, perhaps most last and most importantly is this one. And this is something that we just don't hear much of. Okay? And I tried to make it clear to the boys tonight, and that's repentance. Repentance. You know... It's so important that we understand the principles of repentance. Now, again, when you first read this, you think James is being kind of harsh. Here's what he says. Look at verse number 8, B, and 10, through 10. I can, I can just hear his voice. You know, Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be miserable and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. And I don't know how many times I've read that and preached it about James being a little bit rough and gruff and all that. He's just being honest. I'm finally learning it. He's just being honest. See, we have lost, we have lost the grieving over sin. We have. As a church, we have. We have lost the grieving over sin. You know, we, we've got to understand when, when there's sin in the body, but when there's sin individually, it should break our heart. You know, we get all worked up about the sin of society. We need to get more worked up about sin in the church and in our lives and in our lives. See, there's a time for everything. Ecclesiastes chapter 3. There is an occasion for everything and a time for every activity under the sun. There's a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance. There is a time for grieving. There's a time for us to be miserable and mourn and weep. There's a time for our laughter to be turned to mourning. There's a time for our joy to be turned to gloom. And the time is when there's sin in the camp. Sin should break our hearts. Yes, we should be broken over the sins of the nation, but we should be double broken over our personal sins and the sins of the church today. So James says in verse 10, Humble yourselves before the Lord and He will exalt you. Humble yourself down. Get broken over your sin. Get broken over your sin. And He will exalt you. And that leads us then to this, this thing about repentance. In 1 John 1, 9, of course, we know this verse, don't we? We like this verse. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Got that one down, Pat. I just don't practice what it means. Well, what do you mean, Dwayne? Well, because I'm like you. I, if we confess our sins... Oh, oh I, know what, I know what confession is. Confession is saying, Hey, God, I'm sorry. Let me tell you something. 
If you find yourself constantly going to God and telling God you're sorry over the same sin in your life, there's something broke. There's something broke. Okay? Because see, the idea of confession carries the idea of repentance. Confession and repentance go hand in hand. And here's what I wrote. I'm going to tell you what I wrote. Confession without repentance is wasted time and wasted words. If you're going to the Father and you're saying, God, I'm just sorry. I'm just sorry. Time and time again, confession without repentance is wasted time and wasted words. So what is repentance? And I snagged this from somewhere. I wish I could give credit, but I can't because I don't know who I snagged it from. Okay, it was off just one of the websites. You know, here, this is one of the best def- definitions of repentance. Repentance is a change of mind that leads to a change of heart that leads to a change in actions. Isn't that good? You see, y'all get your pen out right now and write that down. It is a change of mind that leads to a change of heart that leads to a change in actions. This change involves both turning from sin and turning to God. Isn't that good? It really is. And we need this in our lives. You know, Andy Stanley put it this way, direction not intention determines your destination. See, so direction, you know, not intention. God, I'm sorry. God, I'm sorry. God, I'm sorry. Your direction determines your destination. And when we get on our face before God, and we do say, God, I confess my sin to you. I was wrong. But God, now I turn from that sin with a full of ten. I'm done with it. I'm washing my hands of it, and I'm going to seek you. Direction, not intention determines your destination. This verse we used a couple weeks ago, maybe last week. 2 Corinthians 7.10 For godly grief produces repentance, a repentance that leads to salvation without regret. But worldly grief produces death. How about this? You know, godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation. I come before God honestly and sincerely. I confess my sin to Him with full intention of turning from that sin and following Him. Okay? That leads to eternal life. That leads to salvation. That leads to, that leads to joy. Okay? Worldly grief produces death. How many of y'all are just so frustrated with yourself you can't stand it because you go to God and say, God, I'm not going to do that ever again till tomorrow. Isn't that frustrating? Doesn't, just, doesn't it just rob you of your joy as a Christian? They just rob you of your joy. You want to kind of slap your face and say, why did I do that again? That's what, that's what Paul's talking about. We need to get authentic in our repentance, confessing, but turning from that. You know, we just need to have a sin yard sale. You know, we just need to sell the stuff. You know, we, we like y'all. We, we got too many rooms full of stuff. You know, we need to get rid of half the stuff we own. You know, we need to get rid of our sin. We need to have a yard sale. Well, finally, in Matthew 3, 8, John the Baptist says, Therefore, produce fruit consistent with repentance. Produce fruit consistent with repentance. So, now we're going to read 1 John 1, 9 again. If we confess our sins, if we confess and turn from our sin, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. He is faithful to His Word. So if you find yourself in a mess, you find yourself in the messies, okay, in life, 
Keep in mind what James taught us tonight. Submit to God. Resist the devil. He'll flee from you. You know, confess our sins. Turn from our sins. Repent of our sins. He gives more grace. God's grace is always sufficient. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Philippians 4.13. We can do that because of Jesus Christ. We can do all those things. So we don't have to settle for this tension that we have in our Christian life so wrapped up in failure um, that we never enjoy the abundant life God called us to. We don't have to settle for that because His grace is sufficient. I saw your lips moving. Amen. All right, let's pray. Well, Father, we sure thank you for the privilege of sharing tonight. And uh, I am so, we, 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 we are so grateful for your grace. I'm glad it's so much bigger than just salvation. You extend your kindness to us in so many ways, even in the area of giving, as we heard this morning. Um, you extend your grace so that we're able to give and share. How amazing is that? So thank you for what we've learned today. And God, we, oh my goodness, we do get on our messes. And Lord, you want us to get out of those messes by confession and repentance, by submitting to you and resisting Satan. So thank you for this good day as we sing now this song of worship, Father. I'm going to pray, Lord, it'll speak to our hearts and through our hearts. In Jesus, we pray in your precious name. Amen.